quite shocking how much um, real estate school doesn't tell you about a real estate transaction. So the big question is, what are the top agents doing to absolutely crush it in real estate, grow their teams and add more transactions year over year while so many struggle? If you ever thought about this, you're not alone. No one has been able to get the answers until now. We spent the last few years helping agents sell billions in real estate, rubbing shoulders with top producers, which got us thinking. How can we expose more people to these insights to help raise the standard in the whole real estate industry? We then realized that we could help bridge the gap by getting secrets from the best of the best so that you can succeed. My name is Andrew Dunn. And my name is Peter Michael. Welcome to Elite Agent Secrets. Everyone, and welcome to this episode of Elite Agent Secrets. Today, we've got Andrew Bryan, been in the industry for seven years, ran a construction management company at the same time as being a realtor. He's done about 60 deals. So this is a guy that is learning how to kill two birds with one stone by running construction management and real estate. Andrew, thanks for jumping on the show with us here today. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thank you, guys. So the way we like to start these is we like a bit of background. So you've been doing this seven years. So I want you to take us all back to seven and a half years ago <laughs> to before you kind of made this jump and what took what, what kind of got you there? Why did you get into real estate? What happened? And then walk us through the first few years of, you know, your trials, tribulations and things that you overcame. And then we'll kind of yeah. jump into your secret tips and tricks. Absolutely. Uh, so seven years ago, I was in uh, corporate sales. I was doing uh, warehouse uh, projects. So we would be installing top levelers, compactors, bangers. Uh, we sold the world's largest ceiling fan. Uh, we'd sell doors for flash freeze environments, which means uh, it was negative 20 inside those uh, freezers. So you literally had to keep your pen in your armpit or else the ink would freeze. Um, so it was a really cool, unique environment. Uh, the company was doing <laughs> very, very well and got bought out by a New York investment firm and they were wanting to put them on a national platform. Uh, they brought in a new CEO. Uh, I'd been with the company about six, seven years at that point. I was the youngest salesman they'd ever hired and I was um, doing extremely well. Uh, they, uh, the original CEO was very happy with my work. Uh, they brought in a new CEO and the new CEO was talking to me one day and he realizes I'm the only sales rep of the 11th largest metropolitan in America for this company. And he goes, you've got a really good job, don't you? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm really happy here. I got a great job. Uh, within two weeks, I had been given my notice and he had brought in one of his uh, friends to take over that role as uh, leading in that uh, region, uh, which, was a, which was a big hit for me because I wanted to uh, retire in that industry. I really enjoyed it. And then, uh, so I'm laid off. I've got, uh, first time I've been unemployed in 11 years and I'm like trying to figure out what to do with my life. Uh, so I had worked at quite a vendor network in Austin. So I, uh, called a couple of vendors, spoke with them. I lined up five interviews in two weeks, got four job offers, um, didn't accept any of them and became a realtor. Uh, I was a, I'm a third generation realtor. I knew one day I would inherit it state company and i wanted to know how to operate the business uh, and so i actually ended up becoming an agent separate from my family so that way i can learn the the industry and the trade uh, without their influence so that i can bring a, a more skilled 
experience perspective to um, that role whenever I do take over that role one of these days. And then I had another opportunity. I had a friend, uh, if anybody is familiar with her, her name's Erica Williams with Classic Climb. She's a, it, now a YouTube star. And her and I had been talking about the um, opportunity of creating a construction company that chased commercial contracts for apartment complexes. There was one specifically we were looking at that had a million dollar budget for painting. Um, And we're like, man, if we could line up three of those apartment complexes, we would be set for life. So then uh, simultaneously, we created a, uh, as I got my real estate license, we created a construction company as well that would chase apartment complexes and things like that. Can we just take a moment and say, what a dick move. He set you down, (laughs) said that, like, how do you like your job? You tell him you love it. And then two weeks later, he rolls his buddy into it. Welcome to Corporate America. I I went, you know, I'm very familiar with that world because that's the world that I come from. Mm -hmm. So I feel for you, Andrew. (laughs) I definitely feel for you. Yeah, it was pretty late. That's for sure. It's interesting, actually, how um, you started from a sales background, too. So one of the things that that, uh, we've seen... Not it's not like an absolute, but it's pretty consistent with people that have definitely been able to accelerate earlier in like the real estate business do tend to have some sales experience along their line. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sure that obviously benefited you when you jumped into this, irrespective of your family. And I'm sure you've picked up a lot from them just through the years that it's like other people have to learn. You didn't even, you know, it was just inherent. It was almost like a gifted to you at birth, <laughs> this real estate stuff. And uh, it's interesting though, explain more to me because I'm curious why you decided to tread your own path. Because obviously just following a family, you got a team, you got all that stuff. You could have just walked down that road, right? Um, but you chose to go your own way. So why, because like, I wouldn't have done that personally because I'm more likely to get in my mind, a bigger boot if I, fo- you know, followed my family and kind of we all rose together. But you you consciously went out and just did your own thing. So what was your kind of thought process behind why you were really wanted to do that? Is it relationships or is it go your own way? You know, that maverick mentality? Yeah, I've definitely been a, um, a lone wolf in business uh, most of my career. And I think, I mean, as a matter of fact, when I was uh, 20, 20 years old, 22 years old, I was managing a marketing team for that previous corporation. And I would come into the office once a week, turn in my numbers, uh, turn in my employees' numbers, and then leave. And uh, and I just can't imagine many people getting the opportunity to just be self-managed like that um, at 20, 23 years old. And, and at the end of the day, they said, you know, your numbers were always there, so we're happy with you. The um, I also was a, a geographic issue. I was living in Austin, Texas. My family's from Fort Worth. It's about 180 miles separation. And I was very happy in Austin. So I definitely wanted to stay there. The uh, Also, at the yeah, we've all, as realtors, been to family reunions or team gatherings, team happy hours. And what do you talk about? You talk about business. Um, it's because that's the main thing you have in common. And I definitely did not want to have that relationship with my family where um, every time we get together, we just talk about business. I'd seen them do that for the last um, 25 years of my life. And 
right now when I come home, it, it's like a vacation. I get to go celebrate, have fun with my family. And it's just uh, been a, a nicer way to do it, to keep the uh, business separate from the family. Separation. Yeah, I, 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 I respect that. Like I did, that's, that's the th- place where I would probably see this going. Cause I'm very much feel the same about that. Like I would rather have two separate entities, uh, you know, family and, and, and keep family and business separate. So going back into obviously real estate, you jumped into it. What was, so what were your first years like, you know, how many homes did you sell? Did you sell any? Was it, was it a struggle? Like walk us through, you know, getting off the ground, those first transactions of yours, how you got them. Um, and yeah, walk us from that. Yeah. So the, um, Coming from a very successful sales background, I was actually very shocked at how hard it was to uh, be a realtor uh, because everybody tells you, yeah, come be a realtor. You'll make tons of money. It's super easy. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's recruiters saying that. I don't know who says that stuff, but it definitely was like, I felt I went from a business to business sales background, which is very factual. It's very much, um, you, you know, here's the product, here's the price, here's when we can do it. Um, do you want it or not? Uh, where uh, And they're spending somebody else's money, so it's less emotionally tied up for them anyways. And then when I became a uh, real estate salesman, I felt like much more of a counselor <laughs> in the beginning because it's a lot more emotional of a transaction. And uh, also, uh, all my friends were 24, 25 years old. So it was um, a lot... Um, rarer for an adult 25 year old, you know, at least in Texas to be ready to purchase their first real estate. So I was having to uh, work extra hard to find, you know, open houses, um, looking at older people in my network who are more capable of selling and purchasing homes and things like that. Then also, um, yeah, so it wasn't like the, I became a realtor and just started selling 10 million a year. Like you hear some of those um, superstars do. It's been a, a long, hard grind for me to uh, build the sphere of influence, build the skill levels. The first uh, transaction I ever did was uh, purchasing my first property, which was a fantastic way to do it because I learned so much about the real estate transaction uh, going through that myself. And I didn't have to look like a fool in front of other people. I just looked like a fool in front of my broker, uh, which is, by the way, shocking how much um, real estate school doesn't tell you about a real estate transaction. Amazingly enough, they, they, they teach you they teach you the theory and all the applicable concepts. Then you get out in the real real world, and it's like almost the opposite of what you should be doing by the book, right? It's wild. That's for sure. So ha- having you know some of my first transactions under the belt, that's kind of the world that I come from right now and it's like i can totally relate with what you're saying from that perspective is because you could just get thrown in deep waters no help no support more than likely you're on an island your broker may or may not give you a whole lot of time most of the time they don't because they also have like 50 other people that they have to tend to and you can only fumble your way forward pretty much or through the whole transaction so Doing your first transaction or being on the other side of the table, it is so much easier the first time because you at least you know what to expect. Yeah. And then you can plan for things, right? And plus you're getting paid to buy a home, which is a lot of fun. 
<laughs> or, or you're just saving it for another project, a little pet project of yours, a motorbike you might want, <laughs> depending on what it is that uh, that tickles your fancy. So that's how you got your first one. So then how did you get, let's call it your first actual one, like your first outside client? So uh, yeah, your first, yeah, your first prospect. How did that one come? Um, honestly, it's been so long, I don't really remember. But I imagine it would have been uh, through my sphere of influence. Uh, I had been networking super hard at that point. I moved to Austin, and I didn't know anyone. So when I had moved to Austin, I just started hitting parties and, and networking and socializing hard. Uh, yeah. you know, because I, I didn't this know. Is the, this is the nice caveat into your first kind of secret to your success, which is getting all your deals right, which is you wanted to – You've, you've spent a ton of time. And I think also given a bit of background on like other stuff you've tried and kind of failed, um, but like community for you has been huge. Building a community, building a sphere that is personal to you um, has been huge to your success to getting your transactions going and keeping you consistent, right? So tell us a little bit more about that. Break that down for us, what you're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, I think for the people who know uh, me and know what I'm doing, I think it's important that I say when I started building a community, it wasn't for the sake of uh, my real estate career. It was uh, because I enjoyed the people I was around. Uh, however, it has been very beneficial to my real estate career. The um, I built a network called Austin Christian Community. It's a Facebook group. Right now it's got over 4,500 members. And uh, I basically just wanted to spend more time with uh, other people and do fun things. So then I started creating happy hours and inviting people to them. Uh, I started doing, there's a lot of amazing events in Austin, Texas that is unique to this city. They've got a summer concert series that it's like the biggest picnic in the world. We'll have uh, 8,000 people show up for a, con- a free concert. And uh, it's just a big picnic. So I'll do, um, they do four of those a year. So I'll attend all four of those and uh, invite uh, everyone to them. Um, I basically pick the fun things I want to do and then invite everyone to go to them. Uh, I do lots of happy hours, lots of uh, dancing events. Um, we do picnics. Uh, one of the favorite things that I do is uh, every summer I'll do a, a party barge social. Uh, do y'all know, guys know what a party barge is? Well, no, I could, I could hazard a guess of what it is. <laughs> it is like a 60-foot-long pontoon boat that holds 70 people. And wow. so about two of them. Now we're talking. And uh, we'll put them side by side, and we do like these chant wars back and forth about like which boat's better. And uh, we'll do uh, – yeah, everybody's swimming on a lake. They've got slides. We've got friends with sea-doos that pull up and give people sea-doo rides. Or jet ski rides, depending upon what side of the country you are, is what you call it. And uh, and so I'll sell all the tickets off. Um, I break. Uh, I usually break even by the time I've rented the boats and done uh, made food for everyone and stuff. But it's so much fun. It's a it's an absolute blast, and it's an opportunity to sit down. You're the host of a 140 person party, and um, there's no better way to get to know people than to, to be the host of the party. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. So when you obviously having a party barge idea, I mean, events are phenomenal. And if anything, now they're coming back bigger than ever uh, because of everything that's kind of happened over the last couple of years. How are you going? You know, let's say you're, you're, you've moved into Austin, right? You're there and you're a newer person. How are you actually 
building that initial network of people to then invite to them? Is it literally just those other events where you're like cornerstone, head to those, gather numbers, they become your list, you invite them to your events and get them to invite friends? Or is there other methods that you are using to kind of build your network and your community fast? Uh, so the one of the benefits was whenever I first moved to Austin, there was about three networks that were um, doing what I was doing. And then uh, and we do these house parties and uh, we have like 130 people show. And they were so much fun. I'm new to Austin, so I'm just networking like crazy, uh, meeting everyone. And um, then over time, the groups were starting to um, get less managed. You know, leadership was getting married, getting different jobs, moving out of town, whatever they were doing. And so all of a sudden, somebody's hosting a party and they're blasting four pages for um, for this. So all of us are getting four notifications for their party. And I, and I just thought it was just such a pain and inconvenience to like for them to be blowing up everyone like that. So then I just was like, I'm going to create a page and it's going to be the page for everyone to go to. And that way, we're not uh, just getting blown up the way we were getting. And that, those pages were getting a lot of spam, too. And I was like, and I'm going to manage it so there's no spam on the page. And everybody appreciated the value that I was creating because I was creating a page with uh, events uh, and they're getting one notification instead of five notifications. And there wasn't any spam. So I was really uh, managing the content of the page really well as well. Got it. Okay. that's So you're obviously with your huge Facebook group and stuff like that, uh, there's a phenomenal power there that you now possess, right? Um, and these are like-minded individuals, obviously something that's close, closer to your heart. Right. And you mentioned earlier, was it 4,800? Was it four and a half thousand? 4,600. And so that's a big part of your network now, right? So it's like, it's gone from kind of offline events, bring them all into a space, which I guess is your Facebook group, right? Is that kind of how it's, how it's kind of gone in full circle? You've gone to networking events, you've hosted events, you've then tried to push everyone into a group, or have you grown the group independent of of the events? Uh, you know, the group actually is pretty self-growing at this point. I mean, we'll have about uh, five to ten people join a day. And okay. uh, it's just got a good name, apparently, or something. And it just seems to grow on its own. It's really been unique to see how the group has just blown up on it, the way it has. So. Got it. And then you're using that group. So was there any, I guess, one of the things that everyone listening, I'm curious as well. I don't have a group of 4,000, 4,500 people. So um, was there something like initially that's helped grow it? Do you know, like anything like that? Any kind of fancy stuff that happened? Or was it just, like you said, it's just been organic. Was there any tricks to the trade, so to speak? I would say the biggest thing is consistency. And then being intentional about inviting people. Uh, the, uh, I mean, consistently, I've hosted one to three events a month for four years now. And oh wow! It, so it's, but I mean, they're all like they're all things I wanted to do, and I just invited. You know, at the time when I started, the two hundred of my best friends, and then it became five hundred of my best friends, then a thousand of my best friends. So then um, it's just been a, it's all things that I was already going to do. So then like there's an event this weekend, uh, Worst Fest. It's a fantastic little event in New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, it's got a rich German history and they've got all kinds of like beer and sausage on the sticks and uh, 
and music, polka music and everything and so much. So I want to do that anyways. So why wouldn't I invite uh, other people and bring them in on those opportunities? So Got it. And now you basically got this huge network. People know you that you can just tap into if and or when you want to pull deals out, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, exactly. yeah, because it is a, a religious group, I try not to uh, market too heavily on the group. But what I do is build relationships. Um, and I do have um, a rapport because I have face recognition. I get how some people have uh, YouTube pages and they get face recognition through that. I mean, I've been walking down Rock Rose, which is an entertainment district in Austin. And I've had people stop me. Literally, I'm walking down the road and they're like, oh, I know who you are. I haven't met you yet. Uh, but you're Andrew. You're the leader of ACOM. So. Andrew, speaking of which, you, you know, you're, you're balancing. How do you find the right balance? When do you feel it's too much? When do you feel it's too little? Because I know that's one of the things that we talked about previously as well. Because the community that you have is, I would say, a little bit more... Um, not, not, I don't want to say sensitive, right? But the, but the way you build the community, it's very relationship driven. So you want to make sure you definitely don't come off the wrong way where it's just business driven, because that's really definitely not the goal because you're very relationship driven. So how do you find that right balance where it's like, it's enough, but not too much, but it's also not too little. So they, so they trust you, you have that relationship and you do have that right balance. Yeah, I think it all starts with the conversation uh, because if somebody asks me, how's my week been? They're going to find out about my real estate business uh, because that's how my week has been. You know? uh, so the, the big thing is I try and just interact with everyone and then have that uh, communication in person over um, because... Uh, because it is not a business group, I don't try to spam it in, in any means. Occasionally, I will mention that, hey, I do all this for free. If you'd like to support me, I am a realtor. If you know anyone who's wanting to buy or sell real estate, please let me know. But um, for the most part, I mean, I'll make one or two of those announcements a year. So for the most part, it's just in-person interactions with people. So it's still relationship first, community first. And if they do want to get to know you, then they'll naturally find out. And, you know, they, naturally they feel the law of reciprocity where they want to give back, right? So you don't necessarily have to, you know, push your business very hard. Because I feel like for some of the audience here who they do have a community, they're going to be stuck in a stage where they're like, okay, I had this community, but what do I do with it? You know, and I think if they're approaching it from the perspective of like, I just want to monetize this community, they've missed the boat when they started the community. But you started a community to drive the community aspect, drive the relationships, make it a better community when they're involved with you. And if they, you know, as a and it's like I say, it's a very end if they want to buy or sell a house, they at least they have somebody that they trust because you focus on the community first, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've been, um, yeah, I've just never wanted to come off with the wrong intentions. And, and yeah, and so we, and we've, I've 
we've all had a pushy car salesman experience and I've never wanted to be a pushy car salesman. Um, so then uh, I really just try and treat people the way I want to be treated. And that's worked out really well for me. Got it. I mean, one thing that I think the community aspect, everything you've done, the Facebook group, the event, I mean, three, the, the number of events you're doing per month is an insane amount of work. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to this episode. Now, before you go, we're giving access to a private training we did where we revealed the top three niches to get listings today completely for free. So if you want access, you can go and download that training at EliteAgentSecrets.com. We're regularly releasing new trainings, guides, and cheat sheets. So make sure to head over to EliteAgentSecrets.com and sign up so you don't miss out.